everyone will tell you if you moved to Los Angeles in 2004, you needed a car to get around. And I was determined to prove them wrong. And I biked everywhere. It's important for me to be able to talk about my experiences. Well, one of the biggest things that I've been advocating for is swapping the parking lane with the bike lane. Larger bike lanes, actual protections, concrete barriers, planters, separated bike lanes. These are what we see in other cities where they take bicycle infrastructure seriously. So how do we move from a car-centric culture to a walkable, bikeable community? For me, one of the strongest things I can do is make sure good people are appointed to that transportation commission. Hey, if this is something you're passionate about, this is something you're experienced in, there's two seats right now open on that seven member board. Parking minimums are like the bane of my existence when it comes yeah. to It's so hilarious to me how you can drive by a hundred fast food restaurants and there's so much parking and everyone's in the drive through anyways. <laughs> That's true. What That's are we true. doing? I didn't think about that. You got to build things where the people are so they don't have to drive. So okay. what we build and where we build it, 99% of that decision is done by your local elected members. People don't think about that. Welcome to Bike Talk on KPFK live stream. Here with Lindsay and Nick. Lindsay, talk to us. Yeah. So this morning, um, I got to interview the guy who was the main writer of the transportation section of Drawdown, which is this new book. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's a New York Times bestseller. Drawdown, the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming. Um, and they basically go through every single thing we can do. It's like a hundred things, um, solar, wind, bikes, and they calculate how much it can draw down and how much it costs. And I guess scientists all over the world are there. They've adopted the phrase drawdown. So people aren't saying, ah, oh, the Paris climate goals, you know, which is like ephemeral and like, oh, what? And they're saying, Okay, how are we gonna draw down? Um, so they put this word into our vocabulary and um, he's um, from Trinidad and he's just this expert um, researcher and he, he was Ryan Allard. It was really, so it'll be great, I think. What does drawdown mean? Does it mean like draw carbon out of the atmosphere? Exactly, and so they calculated um, it in gigawatts so that you could really put a price tag on it, but also rank it because people don't always understand the difference between, you know, how much impact can solar have? How much impact can wind have? And it, by the way, it turns out that wind is like basically the best thing um, in terms really? of- Well, actually, no, you know what it is? Bikes are the best. I'm sorry, I should correct myself. Hello. This is Constantine Anthony. You are a brand new city council member for the city of Burbank. And um, you are also a spokesperson for the Sunrise Movement, right? Like what, what's your role at the Sunrise Movement? Well, I wouldn't say I'm a spokesperson. I was endorsed by the Sunrise Movement Los okay. Angeles. I am a huge advocate of climate change, uh, not for climate change, to fight climate change. <laughs> I don't think I would have gotten their endorsement if I was a climate change advocate. <laughs> um, but tackling climate change is, you know, one of my top priorities. 
uh, both in office and as a private citizen. You know, there's much more I can do than just my one city, you know, uh, being a voice for um, change and for, you know, grassroots movements across the country and across the world to really tackle uh, climate change is is an important work that I've been doing for years already. Um, but yeah, I had a lot of interactions with Sunrise over the summer. Um, their endorsement meant a lot to me. I believe they were actually the second group to endorse me. So that came early on and it sort of started, you know, a movement of people uh, jumping into my campaign. And, uh, you know, these young kids, I, I, they're literally young kids. That's the thing. It's like teenagers who are just tired of everyone older than us not doing anything. <laughs> um, so it's really exciting to watch them, you know, put their effort behind uh, millennials and younger candidates to simply do the things that we grew up thinking that our elders were going to do. You know, we, we all grew up watching Captain Planet and, and, you know, that kind of ideology permeate through our own understanding of the world. <laughs> Yet here we are 2021 and we're like, why, why are we still drilling for oil? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's anyway. So I, I mean, the reason uh, I guess that this, that, that we kind of uh, ended up that we have you on the show is we were discussing um, a couple of weeks ago, sunrise movement and their policy, like their transportation policy, if they have one or, you know, what, what it would be. And, you know, um, obviously it gets reflected in the type of candidates that they endorse. Um, so for, for you, in you know the city of Burbank, what? How do you see the city of Burbank fighting uh, climate change through transportation policy? Well, I will say there is a pretty good um, platform, a known platform that cities can do across the country, across the world, to tackle climate change at the local level, like bigger stuff, like you know, uh, carbon tax and 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 blocking you know, uh, uh, fossil uh, fuel purchases from other countries. That's a big federal thing. And then there's other stuff states can do like banning offshore drilling and all that stuff. But really when you look at local jurisdictions, cities and townships, there's very specific things that you can do to really you know, uh, change the way you produce carbon uh, uh, emissions and, and just generate carbon into the air. You know, the two biggest ones, obviously, is transportation, the way you build a city and the way you move people around and the electrification of your power grid and how you build buildings and infrastructure based on that electrification. If every city in the world tackled those two issues at their core, then all the other stuff, the, the, the state laws, the federal laws, they would fall in line because cities wouldn't be demanding giant interstate highways of automobiles to be built and, and, you know, billions and billions of, of gallons of, of uh, crude oil needing to be purchased to move in so that you would drive your car everywhere. And then at the same time, you wouldn't have all of these, you know, these pipelines trying to say, oh, well, we're going to do, we're going to heat the, the world with natural gas because it's, it's better than coal. It's like, it's still a fossil fuel change, change the way you do it. Don't, don't have coal fire plants. Don't have natural gas fire plants solar, wind, uh, um, hydroelectric. Like, these are simple things that every city can start to buy into. 
So like, um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about uh, the electrification first because it's, it's such a esoteric idea because you got to think in terms of, you know, 25 and 50 years ahead. When you as a city buy your power or when you negotiate contracts to buy power in the future, you're basically, you know, determining where you're getting your power from and how you build power plants. Uh, prime example, so Burbank gets a lot of their power from a power plant in Utah. It's called the Intermountain Power Plant Project. And that is, you know, generating power and transmitting it, you know, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of miles back and forth and across uh, uh, all of California, Nevada, and, you know, lots of other cities buy into that. And so one of the things you can do as the power user, as the consumer, because that's basically what we are, is demand something different from your supplier. Say, hey, you know, I don't want coal energy. I don't want natural gas energy. Can is that a coal that? plant that's in Utah? Is it is coal, coal now. And the contract for the next 50 years is to switch it to natural gas with a contract of reducing that over time to solar, uh, possibly even wind or hydroelectric if it comes up, but mostly solar. And the problem with that is, is you're still rewarding them for that little bit of, of natural gas. And it's 2021. We, we don't need that, but it's cheaper because they've already done it, right? Because mm -hmm. there's so many places that are already in motion that, oh, well, we have all this extra natural gas anyway, so we'll just sell you this and cheaper. And so the rate payers as a consumer, right? I'm gonna, I wanna pay less cents on the dollar for my, for my heat. And in doing so, I'm buying the cheaper natural gas and waiting for them to switch it to solar. And so, you know, one of the conversations you have to have as a city is talking to your consumers and saying, look, do you want to pay a little bit extra for your you know, <laughs> electricity in the hopes that we stop the entire globe from boiling over and they're killing everybody? So like, that's a conversation you need to have. Or is there a way that a city can reduce that amount of money spent and take that burden on themselves and start to tax large? Yeah, companies? like, can we reallocate money to uh, convert you know, it's like asking people to pay more. That's almost political death right there in a way. People just resist that as much as they can or they, they sort of bemoan it, right? Like, um, but is you there remember, a way? Like, in, a, in a city like Burbank, we have huge corporations that generate, you know, use uh, electricity, uh, uh, um, electricity generation nonstop 24-7. And their, their electric bill is thousands and thousands times more than the average sure. citizen so you know most cities they just say all right we're going to change the rates across the board but why do we have to stick with that system anymore why can't we give discounts to residential users why can't we have these higher using corporations the one who are make you know we've got companies in burbank who made a killing during the pandemic i mean we've got disney we've got amazon moving in we've got kaiser permanente these are, you know, they made a lot of cash in the last, last nine months. So why aren't we as a society saying, okay, all of you big time users, the ones who have made millions and millions of dollars over the last 50 years while we were using these fossil fuels, why don't you pay extra and then give everybody else a break so we can, you know, deal with this inequality and then move towards solar energy faster? That, you know, that's the conversation that the Sunrise kids are coming up with. They're saying, why do okay, I have to so pay extra? 
Right. So so have the bigger the bigger entities pay for most of it and leave the rate payers or the uh the regular Joes who um the residents to pay less is basically yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. And, okay. and, and of course there's always the question oh. of why isn't the federal government just coming in with these subsidies? Like that's a huge question. Yeah. Right. I'm a big fan of the carbon tax. I have to be honest. I know it's very controversial, but I, I, I guess I, I feel like people would be very. I have to leave. If you're a carbon tax fan, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think. Wait, explain be... the carbon tax for yeah. our, our viewers yeah. really quick. And, and actually, my kids. I have teenagers, and we went to Washington before COVID, and we, um, we advocated for with a huge group for a carbon tax and dividend. Um, it was really cute. They wanted to do it. Um, and the idea is that you tax emissions, pollution, and then you take that money and you just write a check to people. So you, most people end up about the same and, and, you know, you always, you, you try to compensate for anybody, you know, hardship cases, et cetera. Um, you know, super rural situations, but, um, but to me, I guess I'd rather pay a tax on carbon than say sales tax or, you know, pay income taxes, like stuff, you know, like, so if I were to, I would take that tax shift. Yeah. And that's definitely a, a way to, to change that burden. Um, that's absolutely, a, 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 you know, a, a useful way of looking at it saying, look, if you're the person putting carbon into the air, why aren't you paying more? But, but we don't do that. We just say, well, you're using the energy and it doesn't matter where the energy is coming from. We're just going to charge you as a rate payer. And I think that's two separate conversations. You know, there's, there's power and water as a utility. And then there's, well, what are you, how are you developing that utility and where is it coming from? Yep. Yep. The beauty of also taxing carbon and electricity, because we, you know, we all can use less of it, right? You can shut the lights off. You can run your dishwasher at night, right? Is that you can get out of it, which I can't, I like taxes that you can actually get out of because it, 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 it's, you know, it's a incentive for people to avoid the tax, right? And you actually don't want the tax. You just want people to stop using the carbon. Right. And that's, you know, that's the kind, you, it's not necessarily, it's like a mix between luxury tax and a sin tax, right? Like, you don't want people to be doing this kind of thing, but if they really have to, you should charge them for it. Um, so it's more like a model behavior kind of tax. Yeah. And I, I, if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you about how you got so inspired about bikes. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I rode a bike as a kid, obviously, but I didn't really get into biking until I moved to Southern California. So I, I grew up in the, the East Bay, um, just outside of Oakland, a little town called Castro Valley. And, you know, it's impossible to get around those small suburban towns on a bike. So I didn't really do much. And my parents had to drive me everywhere when I was a kid. And then the moment I turned 16, I took the family car and drove everywhere, right? So everywhere was was uh, car accessible when I was growing up. But then I moved, uh, I first moved to Burbank and then I moved to Hollywood and I was a working actor for almost 10 years. And... Um, being a working actor, I was very poor. And so um, I found a way out of paying income tax by just not making income. So kudos. Um, and I realized that if I wanted to really um, invest in my career, I needed to, you know, 
take jobs that really didn't pay that much. That's the way the industry is. You take whatever you can get. So I couldn't afford to own a car. And everyone will tell you if you moved to Los Angeles in 2004, you needed a car to get around. And I was determined to prove them wrong. So for eight and a half years, I did not own an automobile. I never drove. I took the uh, bus and the subway and I biked everywhere. I know every bus line, every nook and cranny, every bike lane in the city of LA, and I have gone all over the place. And so for eight and a half years, that was my main mode of transportation. And wow, was it scary in some places, but also doable, like it was doable. And over the course of those 10 years, um, LA actually, you know, improved their bike infrastructure. I saw the changes. I saw more buses with bike racks. I saw more bike racks on the street where you could park your bike and and um it was it was a welcome change and i learned a lot and so now when i you know talk about bikes and bicycle infrastructure um i understand what people are saying and i can advocate for it and at the same time if i'm talking to the people who are building the infrastructure you know some of them have never ridden a bike more than five minutes and so it's important for me to be able to talk about my experiences you know um before i was a city council member i was on the burbank transportation commission and i was there three and a half years um i ended up becoming the chair of the commission and a lot of my work there was advocating uh for bike lanes and, and bike safety um just a couple of years ago there was a man in burbank a longtime postal worker in the city of burbank uh, who was on uh, in a bike lane, in a bike lane, and he hit a door as someone was opening their door and um, crashed into the, the street and, and passed away. Um, and, you know, there was a bike lane, but it was not a protected bike lane. It was just paint on the road. Um, and so, you know, there's things that we can do and, and, and ways that we can make it safer. Okay, because the, the big critique with bike lanes, those bike lanes um are that they're door zone bike lanes that they put you in into a door zone so is that something you're going to be working on moving forward in burbank do you think there'd be a lot of opportunities to put in buffered bike lanes or protected bike lanes well one of the biggest things that i've been advocating for is swapping the parking lane with the bike lane i mean that is just the most rudimentary way to protect obviously um Larger bike lanes, uh, you know, actual protections, and I'm not just talking <clears throat> plastic bollards, you know, that can flap around when you hit them, but like concrete barriers, planters, that kind of thing, raised even separated bike lanes. Um, these are what we see in other cities where they take bicycle infrastructure seriously. But, you know, Burbank, to a large degree, and most of Southern California is very much a car culture. You know, we have the old uh, classic cars. Uh, roadshow here in Burbank and and we have Bob's Big Boy and every Friday night you can go down to Bob's Big Boy and everyone's got their old 1950s Chevys out there and they're honking and roaring and and it's such a throwback um, to what people perceive as a golden era of driving and in reality it's because the population was so low there was no density and you could drive very safely. I mean, the, the, even the speed limits were much lower back then. They didn't have seatbelts. Um, and so trying to think about, you know, this giant steel tank taking up most of the lane cruising down the highway 
um, when in reality, the population density has increased so much uh, just in Southern California alone, not, not to mention the rest of the, of the world, um, that it's just not feasible anymore. I mean, gas was so cheap back then. And now we know gas is not the way we should be powering our vehicles. So, so how do we move from a car-centric culture to a walkable, bikeable community culture? You know, we don't want people separating themselves with steel and glass and cutting themselves off from the interaction of day-to-day life. Um, we want, we want that community. So what do you, what do you think in terms of the city council, like how could you put together a, like a, a sort of a motion or a plan to, to transform Burbank's streets? I mean, the, the, there are a lot of people in Burbank planning that are actually pretty bike friendly. In my opinion, I used to intern there and I think they run into a lot of resistance from the city council. I, I would hear that sometimes when I was, when I was working there, what could you do? Like, how does, how does the makeup of the city council look like? Would you be able to build a coalition that could get us more bike infrastructure and pedestrian infrastructure in, in Burbank? Do you think that's, looking good right now or are you gonna to have to do some work to put together a coalition well that is a very uh interesting topic because I'll, I'll explain this to you and hopefully a bunch of other people from around the country can understand it when you work for a, a municipality whether it's city or state or federal office the people who are hired staff the people who work for you um they're if if they work for the government in general, maybe not a, a, your personal staff, but if they work for the government in general, they're not allowed to have a political opinion. They're just supposed to present you with the facts, positives, minuses, what's best practices, what's been done in the past. And then the governing bodies, it needs to decide where to go with that policy. So <clears throat> it doesn't matter how many city staff members are pro this or pro that or anti this or anti that they can't actually influence policy or or guide a city council to make a decision because they literally can't. That's against the rules. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, when I worked there, I worked there for about a year, and there were people inside the planning department who were very much um, wanted bike infrastructure and pedestrian infrastructure. And they worked on getting grants and so forth for different um, programs like safe routes to school, or maybe a grant for a bike lane um, or bike stalls, I think was another thing they worked on. And there was resistance on the city council to this kind of idea. And, And maybe, you know, the people on staff shouldn't have been thinking like that, but it's just, that was there. That element was there to take advantage of, Whereas I would argue in Los Angeles, there aren't people in the background trying to make bike infrastructure happen, at least on the senior level. Um, but in Burbank city planning, it seemed like a pretty friendly environment for it. It's just that there were people on the city council. I could name definitely one city council member um, who was conspiratorial about agenda 21 and all this stuff. And he was working against anything that had to do with bikes and pedestrians and so forth he just was a car type of guy like like you're kind of talking about that Burbank does have 
I guess I'm, I'm saying like, how are you going to work with the city council to move forward more initiatives like this? What, like, is there a, uh, do you have allies on the city council that you think you could, you could link up with and get something going that would push more uh, of the city of Burbank to be a bike friendly, pedestrian friendly place? Well, I, I can work with my city council members when we have open meetings. And of course I can, you know, uh, 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 challenge them on their ideas and they can challenge me on mine. We can have that robust debate then. But if it has to come to that, we've, we've already lost. The reason I point out that city staff and other governmental staff members can't do that during their work hours is because there are places that people can do it. Most notably the Burbank Transportation Commission. So the Transportation Commission is not staff. They are appointed members, people who are volunteers from the city and they're appointed by the city council. And so what the city council does is, hey, us five members of the city council, we may not know everything about transportation. So we're going to find seven people who are experts on this, appoint them to a board or a commission and say, hey, look, the seven of you, you also meet once a month. You debate the ideas, you discuss what's happening and then give your recommendations and opinions to us. And then we will take that into consideration with much more weight than simply a non-biased city staff report. So we get both. And so for me, one of the strongest things I can do is make sure good people are appointed to that transportation commission. So I'm, I'm encouraging as many people as I can, hey, if this is something you're passionate about, this is something you're experienced in, there's two seats right now open on that seven member board. That's a huge amount of people that are ready to go. One of the seats of course is mine because I had to leave now that I'm on city council. So I'm, I'm actively looking for my replacement. Um, but what I tell people is look, that's the place to do it. Don't yell at city staff, they're gonna do their job. And if I say, you know, let's go with, with a green light to bike infrastructure and I can get two other council members to say yes, they're ready to move. But also, so, yeah. well, I wanna say one last thing, you know, uh, uh, city staff members, they're bound by that rule during work hours. There are a lot of people who work for the city who do extra stuff in their volunteer time, who are politically active, who work behind the scenes. And as long as they're not at their desk and, and running on business time, they can do whatever they want to during their free time. And in fact, I was endorsed by the Burbank City Employees Union because the union members, like the people who work for the city, they know what I'm pushing for. And they had a vote and they told their union, look, get this guy in office because he's going to support us to do the work we need to do. So, but you do have support in the city council because you were able to um, shut down or adopt the, your proposal for shutting down San Fernando Boulevard for pedestrian only. Yes, absolutely. So um, I will tell you, I know uh, uh, Don mentioned earlier that there used to be a city council member who was against all this and I'm, I'm guessing, I think I know who it is and he got replaced uh, by somebody. Yeah, I heard, I heard that he did uh, lose, he, he, <laughs> he, he lost an election, right? Or did he just retire? Yes, he lost an election and you know, there was a bunch of other factors involved, but the person who won is very much a bike walk friendly type of council member. And very cool. Yeah. And so, you know, the, so it, the conversation is changing. Tell us about the San Fernando Road. What are we bringing the Golden Mall back? Like, what's going on here? 
All right, so <laughs> I cannot uh, uh, comment on what is coming before the city council, if it's uh, gonna be a proposal yet, but I can tell you what I've done in the past. I can simply state facts. Uh, during my first run in 2017, uh, the entire time I was on the Transportation Commission for three and a half years, and during my last run uh, in 2020, I was a huge advocate for the return of the Golden Mall. And for those yes. who don't know, in 1968, the um, uh, San Fernando Boulevard, downtown San Fernando in, in Burbank, was shut down from, I believe, uh, uh, Orange Grove, possibly even further to Angelino, uh, but for just a few blocks up to uh, Magnolia, just along San Fernando. So uh, Angelino, uh, Orange Grove, Olive, um, uh, Palm, uh, all the way to Magnolia Boulevard had pe uh, pedestrian only. It was there was grass, there was parks, there was public restrooms, there was eating space, like you could just sit down and have dinner at a picnic table. And it was just such a lovely open air sort of promenade kind of feel. It lasted 20 years. In the 1980s, we had a really hard economic collapse in Burbank. Um, the biggest employer, uh, Lockheed Martin, left. And there was a bunch of other, you know, factors. You know, suburban life in, in the United States in the 80s took a big hit. Um, after the you know late seventies recession and all of that stuff, but Burbank never really recovered as fast as other places. And so one of the things that they thought to do for economic recovery was to open that up again, so people could drive downtown and shop. People were very much about driving. Uh, suburban life was coming back in the late eighties, and people wanted their two point five kids to pack them in a van and drive to the ice cream shop, and then drive to the mall, and then drive to soccer. That was a huge thing. So. They tore up the Golden Mall, they open up the street back again, and it is now, you know, it is, it's as regular street as it is. But one of the proposals we got passed at the Burbank Transportation Commission, um, I believe at the beginning of last year, was the Complete Streets Plan. And it's a huge document about walkability, bikeability, how we do canopies on our, on our you know, uh, streets and, and the way we do crosswalks and all of that stuff. But, you know, locked deep in that uh, uh, document was a three-stage process of turning San Fernando Boulevard into a one-way street and then moving it into a one-lane one-way street. And then finally, after five years, turning it into a pedestrian only, like as a three-step process to see if we could do that. And when the pandemic hit, we needed outdoor dining. And thankfully, that complete streets plan had already been approved by city council back in March. So it was very easy for city staff to come back to the council and say, hey, you just approved this. Can we jump to step three and shut everything down and open the street up for outdoor dining? And thankfully, the city council who had adopted that complete streets plan also said, okay, let's do this in favor of our uh, restaurants. Um, I was glad that we pushed for it because if not, we would have been out of luck and a lot of restaurants in Burbank would have been hurting. And so, you know, thankfully they went forward with it. Um, it did open up, uh, we, we closed the street back to, sorry, we opened the street up to driving again during the latest shutdown hours because there was no outdoor dining allowed anyways. But uh, tonight at midnight, I believe, the uh, county has said we can open back up for outdoor dining um, because they said uh, that is safe again. So we're gonna shut it down one more time. And then this weekend, um, hopefully by Monday, I think is uh, the, the final date because of the rain and all of that. 
we're going to go back to uh, outdoor dining um, with a, you know, I think we're going to go down to one or two lanes maybe with traffic, but no parking, like all the parking is going to stay outdoor dining. We'll see what happens in the future. If we can, you know, if the city council wants to <laughs> shut it all down again and keep it all golden mall style one more time, we don't know. Yeah, because one of the ideas is that if you give people these things, then they get to experience it and they're not going to want to let it go. Yeah, if you've I, been following uh, on social, uh, social media is filled with people who are just cheering Golden Mall, Golden Mall, Golden Mall. That's so funny. I, I actually, I went to school at a Catholic school nearby. And uh, so the Golden Mall was on the bus route uh for me to get back home and so that it was dead it was totally dead at the time i mean it wasn't there was there was the comic book shop and the dungeons and dragons shop the little um record stores and all the stuff but uh it was really sleepy we would skate all the stuff in there all the fountains that were empty so it'd be rad to see that come back i was kind of bummed when i found out that they took that out because um it was just such a cool little place well, yeah, that's going to be good to see what what you can do with that. And you also, I read in the same interview that I found out about you in on Streets Blog LA that you were saying that we need to connect the your bike paths with LA and Glendale and you need to execute the bicycle master plan. Uh, thankfully, that was actually approved uh, right after I won my election. So I really don't have to work too hard on that one anymore. <laughs> But uh, yeah, there are places in Burbank where like you'll just be biking and there's a great lane and there's a whole thing set up and then you'll just get to the end of it and it doesn't start up again for another quarter mile. And you're like, well, where do I go? And so you're dodging traffic and bobbing and weaving. It's such a weird, like there's only like three or four missing connections, but it really slows you down, especially if you're trying to get pretty far. If you're trying to commute on a bike, it's really tough. What are they going to do with the new Burbank bridge? Cause I know one issue with Burbank is it's bifurcated by the five freeway. And for some reason, I can't think of one bike connection across the five freeway on any of the bridges, but are they going to do something with Burbank? Is that finally going to have some kind of connection between, I guess you call it like North Burbank and South Burbank over the five. So there is a plan in place to demolish and rebuild all three of the bridges, Burbank, Magnolia, and Olive. Um, I believe Olive is next up. Uh, the Burbank Bridge, hopefully, if they can find the money, apparently Caltrans ran out of money and now they want Metro to pick up the tab. Real sidebar, real quick. Is that something that you guys vote on? Like, do you have any power to change that request from Caltrans? Nope. No, no, no we effect wrote a letter. On that. We can write okay. a letter. We can yell at them all day. But yeah. at the end of the day, that's a budgeting issue between Caltrans and wherever they can get it. And if Metro sure. is, you know, sure. Metro already pays for a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that shouldn't happen. This should not happen. Caltrans should starve sometimes. Yeah. And, and, and you know, just as a private citizen, and this is not in my uh, council member uh, hat <laughs> at all. As a private citizen and resident of the great state of California, Caltrans is arguably one of the most bureaucratically poorly run and just evil. Let's just say it, evil. 
like willfully ignorant on stuff. And it really bothers me that it's been around for so long and there's just no transparency, no democratic process to it. it the, the rules and guidelines set up are, you know, 50 years old. Totally. It was designed, it was designed to maintain car culture, right? That the original intent of Caltrans was how many freeways can we build and how many cars can we pack onto those roads? And, and, so and it's like it's basically like the federal the the federal money kind of created Caltrans, right? Like the federal there was that who I forget which president it was, but they had like the National Highway Transportation Fund or something like that. And they sort of they I mean they injected a bunch of money into California and Caltrans and kind of created this monster and now the money is sort of evaporating on the federal level and you've got these department you know these state departments of transportation that are just gobbling up so much money and now they're trying to like that whole thing with metro that tax the uh you know the measure r and measure m I mean we're paying to upgrade Caltrans property you know like freeways like why are we doing that that's like yeah they should be paying for that yeah. And it's 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 a it's a problem in my eyes because of the lack of uh, democratic accountability in their organizing structure. If we look at, say, the federal government and all of those, you know, the, the, you know, every time a new president comes in, he's able to really change the staff. And anytime a new Congress shows up, they can really vote on a lot of big things. But Caltrans was designed in a way to have a singular mission, which was pack as many cars onto freeways as you can. Once the idea of freeways is no longer viable, we don't need to build any more freeways. And yet we are asking a company that is designed to build freeways to simply, well, now let's maintain and upgrade the roads we do have and the freeways we got for other uses and better infrastructure. It's just not designed to do that. And so we're trying to take this archaic function of this you know, state body and trying to repurpose them. But we're not, we're not taking the time to change the state body. We're saying, oh, no, no, their internal mechanisms and structures are fine. Let's just use them on something else. It's like trying to turn a, a, a hammer into a screwdriver. It's not going to work. Not, you got to fundamentally change the internal mechanisms and, and structure of how camp trends are. But that's a whole different operation. And, and there's a ton, there's, there's a ton of people, senior staff in a lot of these departments of transportation that had just been there for decades. And they, they, that's what they were taught. They were taught the cars were the future car. Everybody's going to drive everywhere for everything. And they're still there decades later and they're in senior positions. And it's like, all right, when are they going to retire? Let's get some new thinking in here too, you know? Yeah. I, as a, as a, like a bike pedestrian advocate, maybe I'm just being biased, but it, it's just like cars create a lot of, uh, right now they burn a lot of fossil fuel. They use a lot of the earth's resources. They're expensive. Uh, and we've designed our environment for this. And it just seems to me that there isn't enough messaging through the media that this is a big problem that 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 our transportation system expects everyone to drive everywhere for everything that's the way it's designed now and i it, it's like i i don't hear enough messaging 
through the media that this condition itself is bad. You know, it's, 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 I think you were kind of talking about this earlier, but it's like a lot of people hear like climate change and it's sort of this uh, concept that they, they can't really wrap their heads around because it doesn't, they don't see it right in front of their faces. And, yeah, and it, it's, so it's true. It's true. I, I you know, I have, a, I'm, I'm afraid uh, right-wingers are going to find this podcast and just edit it to say that I'm, I'm advocating to ban all cars and all they're going to see is that clip ban all cars. So wait, um, Constantine Anthony, you're, what you're saying is ban all cars. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> so what, what we need to do fundamentally as a society is understand that a car has its place, but it doesn't have as many places as people think it does. And there well, are a lot it's of- like, it's like with the golden mall. It's like that, that design they it's really it's technically illegal in a lot of uh municipalities because there isn't enough parking spaces so you know it's like los angeles is suffering from this where we have this policy with parking requirements that you have to build a parking lot that's basically a bigger in size than the retail space of the establishment so you end up with these like fast food restaurants with a donut of parking around them. And that means that you, you, you basically induce people to drive more because you spread everything out with the golden mall. I mean, there was shops like all along both sides of the street. It was, it, it's actually a wonderful thing as a young person to go to have lunch there. And then you're going to the comic book store and it was like things to do. And you didn't have to have a car to do it. And we've designed our society now that, especially like out in the San Fernando Valley or, you know, which Burbank is part of, um, you, you are basically forcing people to have to drive and that's causing traffic. It's using a lot of resources. It's, you know, contributing to climate change. I, I feel like there needs to be more hard hitting language about this somehow through the, like the messaging isn't really getting out there. I don't know why, but it's like, well, I mean, parking minimums are like the bane of my existence when it comes yeah. to it's just ridiculous. And you're right. I mean, fast food restaurants, it, it's so hilarious to me how you can drive by a hundred fast food restaurants and there's so much parking and everyone's in the drive through anyways. <laughs> That's true. What That's are we true. doing? I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Or, or even just does like like I think there's sort of an encouragement to have a drive-through um in the same way that that like bars can open if they get a valet and park cars off site, they get an exemption to get their, their liquor license. It's the same way with and that sort of induces driving to the bar which is ridiculous why would you want people to drive to the bar and then drive after they're drinking but um with these fast food restaurants i think there's also like some kind of an exemption in there or some kind of benefit to having a drive-through like why do they i mean i guess it's just economically benefiting just people just want the convenience it's just crazy it's convenience it's that's what about it's convenience okay but the issue is here's the thing the reason people are driving to the fast food establishment is because there's not one near their house. If you just simply build stuff where the people are, nobody's going to drive there. I used to live 
I used to live behind a Jack in the Box. 90% of my meals were Jack in the Box. Because <laughs> I could walk there. So like, uh, <laughs> it was, resi- it was, it was a, a, a Jack in the Box behind residential property. Everyone in that neighborhood ate at that Jack in the Box. And then two miles away, there was a Taco Bell. Everyone in that neighborhood ate at that Taco Bell. Like, you, you, you got to build things where the people are so they don't have to drive. What we've done with this society is split it up. Commercial here, residential there. Do you guys, the city council has the power to change the zoning, right? Like, can we, that's a big deal. The way our government is set up and kudos to the founding fathers for separating this land use designation has, you know, the state, the county, the federal government, can't tell you how to do your zoning to a to a you know a degree but 99% of those decisions are done by your city council so okay. what we build and where we build it 99% of that decision is done by your local elected members people don't think about that they only vote once every 4 maybe even 8 years for president thinking oh the president is going to sit in the white house and he's going to affect my paycheck my commute to work where I work, where I buy a house. None of that is done by the, by the federal government. They'll help you with your loan. You know, they'll tax your income once you get a job. But where you find those economic opportunities and where you spend your money, 99% of that decision is made by your city council. So people so have to get involved locally. Are you, do you have a list of uh, initiatives you're going to start working on within the city council? Like, are you, like, do you have a plan of, how, how long do you get, first of all? And, and it's a four-year term. Have, okay. And, and, and I, do, I don't have a list. I don't have a list of stuff that I'm working on. I have a list of things that I ran on that are going to mm-hmm. help guide my policy decisions. However, there is a local movement right now happening in Burbank. And it's called the Burbank Green New Deal. And it's happening. Yeah, it's happening now. There's a lot of local members working on it. And these are people who aren't in office, who aren't in any elected position or even appointed position. There are some um, commission and board members who are assisting with language and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's just young kids like Sunrise Movement and, and, and some, you know, moms and dads in the neighborhoods who are, active in environmental policy and, and, and advocacy, and they're working to bring forth a huge list of proposals and have us, the city council, vote on it as just a, a giant package of ordinances. So it's actually law, not just simply, oh, right. well, we're going to try to do this or, or we're going to try to like hard-coded into our city ordinances what you can and cannot do for the future of climate change. And I think it's going to be great. One of the other things that's happening at the exact same time that this is happening is a tax Amazon campaign. So Amazon, <laughs> is bank. and one of the things that this organ there's another group of, of where, where are they who, moving to? Where, what, what's the just site? north of the Burbank airport? They're going to, they're going to take okay. up. Um, that makes sense. Uh, uh, I think it's like 16 acres, 700,000 square feet. It's huge. They're going to do a distribution center north of Burbank Airport. Now, do so, you see this as a good thing or? Good, bad. I don't really like Amazon as a company, but it's their right to operate in business wherever they want to do business. Yeah. But if there's a group of citizens who are saying, hey, 
there's a big company who is known for treating their workers poorly and not treating the environment really well, moving into a city and a city can tax those kinds of corporations. Hey, hey, uh, 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 Green New Deal people, if you want to be able to pay for these ordinances and that you're presenting to city council, here's your opportunity. So these two movements are working you know, at the same time. And at some point, they're going to start to coalesce and people are going to understand, you know, just like what I was talking to Lindsay before, there are people who can pay to have these green policies put in place. Why aren't we taxing these big corporations to pass environmental policy to make these changes happen? And can we are, talk about what you think the they might come up with as far as... Uh... Or they There's a lot up. of stuff. There's a lot of stuff on the table um, uh, for the environmental policy stuff. Yeah, uh, I was curious. One, is there is is there a, like a like a template Green New Deal out there? Do they have it fairly defined? I, I, I excuse me. Is there a, is there a Green New Deal manifesto somewhere? That... <laughs> I imagine <laughs> at some point uh, there's going to be. If if people okay. really want to, they can start. You know, just go on the internet. You can see people talking about it. You can get in touch with folks. Yeah, I mean, I've never really seen like a like a actual policy document of like this is the Green New Deal. If you support the Green New Deal, here is the manifesto or whatever you want to call it. From what I hear, and some people have reached out to me, and also there's a document that has been passed around internally uh, through uh, city planning and public works and 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 uh, Burbank Water and Power. Uh, it's not ready for public consumption yet because they said it was still in process but it looks like there's about 20 to 25 different ordinances that this group wants the city to pass and it's little stuff like this is burbank specific banning banning gas leaf blowers like you know the gas powered leaf blowers oh my god there's there's a place where you can get conservatives and progressives to agree (laughs) on the same thing i think exactly and then there's big stuff like a hundred percent renewable energy by 2030, by the end of the decade. That's a big thing to try to do an entire city and say, we're not using any coal, any natural gas, no fossil fuels by the, by the end of this decade. So like there's big Wait, Now, isn't that, stuff. isn't that a power, is that a power plant right there off the LA river with the four smokestacks right at, uh, what is it? Uh, Olive or maybe it's Magnolia. There's like we have the Magnolia plant is is right right on between Olive and Magnolia. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Right, is that right a, off of five? Is that a coal burning plant? Uh, it's been switched to natural gas. Okay. But it's still fossil fuel. Wow. And they how did they? Okay, so that's interesting how they control the emissions from that. I mean, it's pretty. It's right in the middle of the city. So. Yeah. I mean, natural gas does burn a lot cleaner than coal. Cleaner, it's yeah. Not, okay. not zero, it's not zero emissions. Yeah. And, you okay. know, you run it every single day, 24-7, 365 days a year, it starts to add up. And were you we were, endorsed? Did you did you get endorsed by the Cusimano family at all? Uh, no, I did not. No? In fact, okay. they were busy uh, campaigning uh, against no. the ordinance I wrote for rent control, so... Oh my God! I I went to school with one of the Kusamanos. I know they have a lot of influence over there. Um, okay, maybe I should. I've make talked some to them. I know the family. You know, <laughs> I've talked to them about this kind of stuff. And yeah. you know, surprisingly, they're on board with some of these issues. They're not against you know bikes and and banning leaf blowers. I, I, you know, <laughs> I want to talk to um, my. I, I was in I was in class with. Uh, 
Julie Cusimano, who um, she was super cool. I feel like I could just be like, yo, this is Don. Remember me? Hey, bikes are rad. Why not get on board? You know, you guys have a lot of influence over there. Like, what can we yeah, do? Reach out, have her, have her give me a call. Have I, her shoot me an email. Yeah, I, I think I want to, I want to like at least try this. My, I know that I can get in touch with her. So this could be fun. But I feel like, you know, like she's our age. Like, I mean, she could be like, why wouldn't she be on board with like pedestrianizing, yeah. making Burbank a bike friendly place and working on climate change? That's, that's amazing. I mean, this is so, cool yeah. stuff, man. This is like happening stuff. And, 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 you know, yeah. the more people we get it involved. It makes sense. Yeah. 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 Now, you know, uh, over the summer, I took a, I took a, an oath not to take any fossil fuel money. But I also okay. took an oath not to take any real estate money because one of the okay. problems as a city council member is you have a lot of people who own real estate, landlords, developers, you know, realtors, uh, and they have a lot of business with the city, it's especially with regards to like zoning and land use. There's a lot of money tied up in those businesses. And so for me, you know, to be able to make decisions clearly and not biased, I said, look, if you work in real estate, you can vote for me all you want. You can endorse me all you want. I'm just not taking your money. So I didn't. You're a good man, and, and I'm yeah. I'm not talking about contributions. I'm talking about just changing a little bit of the political tide over there. Like they have a lot of influence. There's got to be a way to to transform at least the the younger generations of that particular political. Uh, influence I don't know I'm, I'm rooting for the uh, green new deal and the sunrise people it's a good good side yeah. to be on <laughs> yeah. well um you know constantine thank you for coming on the show um you know we appreciate you staying on for the full hour and you know we want to keep in touch and 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 keep updated on on what's going on in the city of burbank and, uh, you know, with the Sunrise Movement to that extent that you're involved. But um, Burbank, I, I used to just, I, I didn't like Burbank, I guess, because I went to school there or whatever. But, and the cops were always just like kind of jerks to skateboarders and stuff. But uh, the more that I look at it as I get older, I'm like, Burbank is, is like, it is a well-managed city, it seems like. It does do things that are small town and pedestrian and bike friendly. And, and there are people in the planning department that are, that are, that have a good head on their shoulders. And now I'm, you know, I'm glad to see that you've gotten onto the city council. Cause I've heard, you know, in the past we've had, there's been some controversial people on the city council. Well, hold on now. I am controversial. So <laughs> I, well, I should put it. That. Controversial to the green movement, or uh, how should I say? Uh, but anyways, um, I'm glad that you're on there, and we want to we want to get more updates in the future. We want to have you back on the show, so you're welcome anytime to come back, and we'll definitely reach out to you when we when we want to get some info on Burbank. Of course, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you know the message you guys are putting out there, and the fact that you're talking about this stuff. So give us uh, some social media links or email or something to get in contact with you. So if any listeners out there want to follow this or get in touch with you. Sure. I'm all over Facebook. You can find me there as Councilmember Constantine Anthony. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Constantine in CA. That's for California, Constantine in CA. 
Um, and, you know, I post all the time. I retweet stuff. I have fun. There's a lot of banter. I was a, you know, I'm, I still am, I guess, a comedian for 20 years. So I, I have a lot of fun on my social media. Uh, so, you know, if you don't think I won't react or interact with you on social media, you might be surprised. <laughs> all right. Okay, cool. Cool. Well, thanks for being on the show and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Have a good night. listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.